If you don't have your Bible open already, why don't you open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue on. And this week we are uh, going to be talking about how God orders His church. Uh, last week we, we tackled the real fun uh, subject, uh, you know, that was the one where, you know, my heart kind of beated really hard in fear of being crucified before, during, or after the, the service, but God was gracious, and I heard a lot of people just said, man, that, I've never heard it phrased in quite such a way. So, I, I trust and pray that that was a work of God, and not a work of Paul, because all the wisdom needed to come from God. This morning, we're going to be looking at the qualifications for those who will serve as elders. Follow along. I'm going to read it again. Follow along, starting in verse 1, page 992, if you have one of our Bibles. The saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up and with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he will not, may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. I want you to imagine that I received this week this letter. Dear Paul, I'm looking for an opportunity for ministry, and wondering if your church has a position available. I'm a single man, In my 50s, short in stature, slightly built, balding, and with a beard. My health is not the best. I have difficulty with my vision. But in spite of my physical limitations, I have seen the Lord use me in many ways. I've never been able to stay in full-time ministry for long because of repeated problems with my financial support. But I've always continued serving the Lord, even when I've had to take on a secular job. I used to have a violent temper. But the Lord has granted me victory over that problem. As my resume shows, I've been involved in founding a number of churches, although I've never stayed in one place for more than three years. I admit I'm not a persuasive or eloquent public speaker. In fact, I've been criticized over this matter. But I do maintain that the Lord uses me in this capacity. And I would like to have opportunities to speak regularly in your church. Some have complained about my speaking because at times I get carried away and forget about the clock. Sounds like me. I must also warn you that my teaching has also stirred up controversy, even to the point of causing riots in some towns. I don't want to hide the fact that I've been sent to prison several times for my part in causing such disturbances. My life has been threatened on on numerous occasions, and I've been physically attacked several times. A number of evangelical churches are divided in their opinion about me. Even some of the churches I helped found have turned against me. I've done some writing on various theological and church-related topics, although a well-known Christian leader complained that I'm hard to understand in places. 
and not particularly strong at administrative details, being somewhat forgetful by a hard, driving, zealous, dedicated man. I believe that I could be used in the ministry of your church, especially in discipling any young men who want to follow the Lord. Please let me hear from you. Signed, Paul of Tarsus. All of this stuff you, you can find in the Bible. There's a couple things in here that are extra biblical. Um, that, like his physical stature, his, what he kind of looked like. Some thought he was kind of a shorter man, kind of hunched over. Uh, you can find those in, in some of Josephus and Philo's writings about what he looked like. But that, that's secondary stuff. The rest of the stuff in here is really true about who Paul is. And Paul was the author of this, this section here. And as we look at this section of Scripture where it talks about the overseers, Paul is speaking with apostolic authority. He is speaking as for the Lord in this, this matter. And we, as we talked about last week, we've got to decide what do we do with apostolic directives. Do we just say, you know what, mm, Paul was a little off base here. He probably was thinking about this or thinking about that. Or do we take him seriously at his word? And this morning, as we look at the subject of elders, we've, we've really got to look at this because there are some hard words in here, some high standards of what does it mean to be an overseer, an elder, or a pastor of a church. But before we, we go too much farther... Um, I, I think we need to understand some fundamental principles of, of the church of Jesus Christ, the government of the church, if you will. And I know even words like that kind of make some of you cringe, the thought of government of a church. You know, in the different churches talk about its polity, how it's organized. It's kind of political structure, it's polity. But these are ways that God has structured the church. And the first thing that I think that we need to understand, a fundamental principle before we even talk about elders, before Nathan talks about deacons next week, before we talk about anything else, we need to understand that first and foremost, this. This point is that Jesus Christ himself is the head of the church. I am not the head of Missio Dei Church. Nathan is not the head of the church. In fact, since we're part of the Reformed Church in America... Even the General Synod is not the head of the church. Or Wesley Granberg Michelson, who is the Grand Poobah, the General Secretary at this time, who's going to be replaced come June. He is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ himself is the head of the church. No one else. No one else. It, it doesn't matter who is appointed into leadership of the church. First and foremost, we as a church have got to understand that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and that we, as the body, submit willingly and lovingly to his lordship, his leadership, his directive. We, we see that here. Let me go to Ephesians 5, 23. It talks about a picture of the, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Christ is the head of the Church, the body. He's the head of everything that goes on here. In Colossians, it talks about, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. He's like the top of the pyramid. He is the grand, if I can talk about it, he's the grand poobah. All things come from him. Uh, Romans 11 says, and from him. 
and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. All things come from and through and to Him. It's all created for Him. He is the head of the church. In, in Ephesians 4, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And that has got to be our... If, if we've got problems with hearing the words like submission, what do we do with this? We, we submit to Christ who is the head of the church. Now, having said that, here's the second point I want to be absolutely clear about because if we miss this, it is going to make my life as a pastor, Nathan's life as an elder, and even the deacon's lives absolutely miserable. Okay? The second point is absolutely critical that all members, all members of Christ's body, you profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, all of us are priests and ministers. Every one of you. Every one of you. I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. If you are a brand new baby Christian still just discovering what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you've been on this journey forever and ever and ever, eons, we are all ministers. First Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a royal nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You, you are a royal priesthood. You're a royal nation. You, it's not just elders, deacons, you guys up here that God has ordained. You all are a royal nation, a a priesthood. We believe in what's called the priesthood of all believers. Every one of you has a certain niche in a way that you are to be working out the good news, the great commission, wherever it is. I don't care where it is. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, St. John says this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from all of our sins by his blood and made us into a kingdom. A kingdom of what? Priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This, this is John saying, listen, he has redeemed you for a purpose. All of you, not just elders, not just deacons, not just pastors. We in the American church, uh, Todd and I went and listened to Alan Hirsch. If you've ever heard of a guy named Alan Hirsch, his first book out was called The Forgotten Ways, which is just this, um, he, he kind of wrote in it like Paul does, kind of in a confusing manner. It's like a real textbook. Just amazing stuff. But he, he talks about how we, even in our seminaries, we, we bought into the Cambridge-Oxford mentality of, of teaching and training. And you, you take this class, this class, this class. And therefore, you have arrived and you have a certain certification and you are ordained to do ministry. And the rest of you, you're just laity. You, you're just kind of attenders. We are all ordained as redeemed people to be ministers of the gospel. We have different responsibilities within the body. Just as there's different responsibilities within the household. All equal. 
but created to do different things and perform different functions. And so this morning, we have got to look of what does it look like, therefore, if Christ is the head and we are all, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, what does it, how do, why does Paul then talk about elders and their qualifications? What? Why, why do we have to talk about this? Because elders, those who are leading the body of Christ, are the, often the first ones who are leading the charge, who are guiding the principles and the, the vision and the mission of the church, and their heart and mind have got to be deeply connected. And at the end, I'm going to talk about it. They're often targets. Satan goes, if I could knock out a leader, I, I knock out this whole section. We, we've seen churches die and split because of leadership. And Paul says it is critical, absolutely critical, that the leadership is godly. And here's the last thing I, I, I want you just to hear. That as we look at elders as those, those servant leaders of the, of the church, we do not vote as a church. We do not vote for elders in this American style of democracy. Okay, so we need to kind of do kind of a shift of that all in favor, aye, kind of mentality. I'm passing ballots out. You know, you go to the polls and vote for this person, vote for that person. That, if you've even come from Reformed church background, we, we've missed the mark there because it's like, I'm voting for this guy. I like him. He represents me well. What we are doing is we should confirm as elders men who approximate the qualifications given by the Apostle Paul. These men most closely approximate the biblical qualifications that God has laid out and communicated through the Apostle Paul. We confirm that. We see that in that man. We see that in that man. These are the ones that most closely approximate the qualifications. Okay? So, this is the one that I'm going to land on for the rest of this time. Elders must be spiritually mature men. And maybe I should change that. They are to be spiritually and increasingly maturing men. It's not they've arrived. They are constantly maturing. But before we examine, there's about 15 qualifications that we see here in 1 Timothy. 15 qualifications, job, job descriptors. Um, there's three things that need to said, be said. Most of these qualities that you see here are prescribed elsewhere in the Bible for every Christian. Including women. So it's not just a man thing. Okay? Get that out of your head first. It is for all believers. These are qualities that you see throughout Scripture to be gentle. The fruit of the Spirit is for all of us to be gentle and not to be quarrelsome. All those things are found for all of us. Secondly, you need to hear that spiritual maturity takes time. It takes effort. And it takes discipline. Spiritual maturity is not an overnight ah, kind of moment, okay? 
Bob, you can attest to this. You know, we, we've talked about in our uh, men's discipleship group that, you know, each week, we, I love watching it because all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, where have I been on this? And we're, there's always, hopefully, all of us have this growing edge of spiritual maturity. We're, we're week to week, day to day, we've got this, ah, oh, yeah. I'm not the same today as I was yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. Laura and I had a great time just the other day talking about some friends within our family about that. We go, my gosh, have you seen how much they have been growing? And they are not the same people that we saw way back in the day. There's this spiritual maturity and they're growing up in Christ. And this is a huge blessing. And it's a reminder also for elders. That they're on this journey of spiritual maturity. They're constantly maturing in Christ. And last, and I need to put an exclamation point at this. Elders, there is no one. There's absolutely no one in this church or in the church universal that is perfectly qualified to be a church leader. No one. That is perfectly, 24-7, going to ace this test, if you will. We all fall. All of us. And if you think you see a leader that is perfect, (laughs) be scared. Run the other direction. If they say that they've aced this, don't you dare nominate them. One, they're lacking humility. Dangerous for the church. Nobody is adequate for these things. Nobody is. All right, first qualification that we see here is that Paul says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer slash elder slash bishop slash pastor, all kind of those words are synonymous, that are interchangeable. If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The first one is that there is an aspiration a desire that God has placed a, a call on this man to lead. If anyone aspires, it is, it's not just this, oh, <laughs> I'm pretty darn good. Look at me, see me, notice me kind of thing. It is an aspiration, a desire. And it's a, Paul says it is a noble task. I've been in enough churches where if somebody gets nominated, they're going, oh, how, how did I get put on this list again? That means three years of my life is gone. I've got to go to these meetings, and I've got to deal with people. I've got to get my hands dirty. Paul's going, don't take those guys. Wrong guys. They need to aspire to a noble task of spiritual leadership within the church. And so the, the next one is they are above reproach. It's kind of this overarching blanket saying, Okay, if in case I forget anything, they're above reproach. You, you, you can't point out anything and, and say, you know, well, what about this? And the idea is that this person basically is blameless. Blameless. And then you might be going, incline, inclined to think, I will never qualify. I will never qualify because I can never be perfect. But Paul isn't demanding perfection here. The Greek word has this idea of not having anything in your life that the enemy might lay hold of. In other words, the 
the elder cannot be living a double life. Where you live your church life on your small group night or on your, your leadership night or on your Sunday morning opportunity, but the rest of your night is total debauchery. Where the rest of your life is like, you know what, I've got a double standard for my business and what I do in church. Two different worlds. You're, you're blameless. There's nothing in your home life, your personal life, your business life that he, that is out of, that is being disobedient to God's word. You are living one life that is true. And when he sins, he judges himself and seeks forgiveness from God and others. He's a man of integrity. When he does fall, you very quickly see a man who is repenting and say, hey, you know, I spoke to you totally inadequately or improperly. I, I spoke to you out of anger and uh, my, my junk kind of came up when I got squeezed. I, this came out and I, I need to apologize. That was totally inadequate. That was inappropriate and unloving. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It won't happen again. And if it does, would you call me out on it? That's a man who is above reproach. Secondly, his, his, the next kind of term b- besides the aspiring is he's a husband of one wife. The phrase here is literally he is a one-woman man. He is a one-woman man. Some people say, well, that means obviously an elder must be married. Are you going to apply that to the Apostle Paul? Because the Apostle Paul was not married. So that's not what he's speaking, but he's talking about his affections. When he is in a, in a marriage relationship, his eyes are on one woman and he adores her. He is a one-woman man. He is fixed on her. He is a faithful husband. He is not a, a flirt, nor is he enslaved to any kind of sin in the, with a mental lust. Whether single or married, he has an extended track record of mental and physical spiritual purity. He is a one-woman man. And why that? Why does he pick that out? An elder is to be representing Christ to his church that he leads and shepherds. And Christ is a one woman man. The church is referred to as the the bride. And Christ, his affections are not split up in any way. He is fixed on the bride of Christ. And therefore the elder must be fixed on his bride and love her because he is representing to the church what that relation, that mystical relationship between Christ and his church. I love my wife, my bride, in the same way that Christ loves his bride and is pure and is beautiful and it's honoring and oh, it is intimate. Next, talks about being sober-minded. The word here means to be clear-headed, mentally alert, able to make sound judgments. It originally meant not to be mixed with wine and came to mean sober, someone who is able to think clearly. The verb is associated with alertness in view of the enemy. So when there is spiritual attack going on within the church, the elder is sober-minded, clear. He's vigilant. He, He recognizes that things are going on. 
If you're not so sober-minded, everything's kind of a blur, and you're just not seeing things as there. In fact, I just love you all. You know? The warm drunk or the angry drunk. But this is a sober-minded man. Everything is absolutely clear. And he's listening. And he sees what's going on within the body. And he is vigilant about what is going on. Self-controlled. Self-controlled. It means to be of, of sound mind. Especially in the sense of not being impulsive. And I'll, I'll be honest. My wife and I talked about this last night. This is one of the areas that I personally struggle with. I, I tend... <laughs> I, I can be quite impulsive in how I, I talk to people, in how I view situations. And that is an area, not just in, in how I, I use money or how I use resources, or uh, it's also in, in how I control my mind. Where... I'll look at a situation or a problem, and what do I do? I work it out a thousand different ways. And even before I deal with the situation, it is out of control. Anybody else know what they're ta- I'm talking about? You pers- ever do that? Where it's like, I look at this situation, and it's like, oh, it, it's a broken floorboard. No, it's not a broken floorboard. You know what that means? Our whole house is caving in. And, and you know what? Our house will never sell. Because of this, and you know what, we should just throw up our hands and I'm, I, I'm done, God. We're just going to, we're doomed to live in this, this hell hole with these people. A self-controlled mind, a self-controlled man says, oh, no, 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 no. Stay focused. Control yourself. Control your mind. Control your emotions. Self-controlled. He doesn't live by his feelings, but in obedience to God's wisdom as revealed by his word. Next one is respectable. The word means orderly, decent, modest. It points to a person who lives in a well-ordered life. A decent life in every aspect so that he is becoming to the Lord. He is attractive to the Lord and to his word. His life is ordered. And it's not, when you look at his life, you go, that is absolute chaos. (laughs) Because why, again, is this important? Because we are to be reflecting as elders and as Christians to the world. Order. God is a God of order, not of chaos. Therefore, our lives need to be ordered. Hospitable. This is not about baking muffins. Okay? Or what kind of napkins you have that go with your, your plate setting up. This is not that kind of hospitality. Okay? Because that's kind of our Americanized, oh, I got the gift of hospitality. I can bake muffins. Wrong. This, this is not what it means. Literally, the original means a lover of strangers. That's totally different, isn't it? Because our way of practicing American hospitality is, I love the Scots. They're, they're like these kind of really neat couple. I want to have them over and show them my baked muffins, you know. And we're going to clean our house really nice. But uh, somebody who really has a gift of hospitality, when they somebody comes into the church or into the community, into your neighborhood, they they see them and they, your heart goes, I want to get to know these people 
who I've never met. I'm a lover of strangers. And immediately, you will see who in the church is a lover of strangers. Where if somebody new is leaving, they chase them down. Just say, I've never had the chance to meet you. I'm Paul. Not in a creepy kind of stalking way. But I I want to get to know you. I want you to get connected to this family. He's quick to open up his heart and his home to others. He's not afraid to meet new people. He's able to make them feel relaxed and welcome in the Christian home, the Christian family. All Christians are exhorted to show hospitality. Every one of you is to be hospitable. Every one of you. And so if you have not been properly greeted, shame on us. Not just the elders and deacons. Shame on us for not properly welcoming you. But it has got to be especially true of an elder. Able to teach. Since the other qualifications for an elder can be developed, even this gift of hospitality can be developed, I don't take this being able to teach as to mean that every elder has got to have the spiritual gift of teaching. Where they can stand up and do what I do or be in a classroom and do these kind of things. But what it does mean that Paul is saying that an elder must know scripture well enough to be able to set forth sound doctrine for the church. Where if there's a problem or things are kind of getting rough, an elder says, well, let me walk through this with you. I may have to pull out my concordance every once in a while. I may have to do a little bit of searching. But you know what? I know Scripture well enough that I can walk you through the Bible. The truth of the Gospel. Or God's design. Or what God has to say about sexuality. Let me talk to you about that. And if I don't have the answers, you know what? As a teacher, I'm going to go and research it. And I'm going to come back and we're going to have coffee. We're going to talk through this. Able teach. And additionally, an elder must be continuing, continuing to study God's Word. Because you know what? None of us come to an arrival of the complete knowledge of God. Romans 11 says, for who has ever known the mind of God and who has ever been his counselor? I'll tell you, I don't know the mind of God. And I have never been his counsel. Therefore, I need to continually be in Scripture, studying it and knowing the wisdom that is laid out. He's not a drunkard. The Bible does not, hear me, does not prohibit drinking wine or alcohol. It's not prohibited. But an elder has got to be very wise in how he does consume alcohol or Not just alcohol, any other substance. Be very careful. Because we don't want anything in our lives to pull down those who are weaker in their faith and not rooted. If that means that we've got a brother or sister who is struggling with alcoholism, or let's even broaden it out, struggling with uh, lust, I I will not take that brother or sister to certain movies or expose them to that. I will not serve alcohol at my home. 
even though I love a great glass of uh, Malbec or Meritage, my favorite red wines. In respect of my brother or sister who has, we- has a weaker conscience, I refuse to drink. And since an elder is to be temperate and prudent and self-controlled, and since Christians are not to be mastered by any other harmful practice or substance, an elder should not be enslaved to these things. And here's even something that I struggle with. And you're going, get over it, Paul. Even being enslaved to eating. How many fat pastors would that disqualify? Quite a few. Quite a few. I am growing from a 34, feeling like I need a 36. An elder is not violent. An elder must control his anger so he doesn't respond to somebody, you know, kind of picking. He doesn't respond by decking, you know. Uh, and he doesn't respond by shooting words out. You know, violent does not have to be physically violent. Where There's enough uh, violence in the home that is not physically manifested, but it is emotionally manifested, isn't it? How many of you in your home have felt that kind of abuse? Violence with words. Violence with thoughts. An elder has self-control in the home. In the workplace. He's gentle instead. There are several Greek words that translate gentle. But this word points to a man who is gracious and does not demand his rights. He's gentle. He's not harsh and demanding extreme penalties. Because he also recognizes that he deserves those penalties. He understands the gospel full well. That man, these people deserve to be kicked out. Do you know how they, what they did and what they said? But they remembered the grace that has been poured out on them. And therefore, they transfer that to others. They understand the gospel. They're not quarrelsome. I love this, the Greek here. The Greek here is um, amacho. Not like amacho, amacho. You know, you know we kind of have this American stereotype of a man, he's got to be macho. The Greek word here is amacho. It's against that. Amacho. It, it refers to a man um, who is, um, he doesn't get into fruitless quarrels, whether it's over theology or anything else. He's not out to prove his manhood. He's not out to prove his manhood by force or by authority. A macho, a macho man is out. to bring it on. That's my problem with Mark Driscoll. Bring it on. I'm a brawler. He is not quarrelsome. He's not out to prove anything. He's not a spiritual bully or an angry man. He's a lover of people. Not a lover of money. Okay, Every Christian, especially men who lead the church, must be clear that you cannot serve God and money. And that's honestly, if somebody is nominated to be an elder or even a deacon in our church, without apology, we look at that person's, that family's giving record. Because there's, your money communicates something, doesn't it? 
says, I love this. And I'm a lover of my money. And in fact, I'm going to control where it goes. And you are blessed to receive my tithe. There's probably very few people here who really do tithe, but or give generously as the Lord has given to you. But a man, an elder, is not to be a lover of money. In fact, he looks at, he holds money with loose hands and just says, look what the Lord has given me. Here. Wow. Look what he's given with my talents. Here. These, these are mine to steward and to give to, to you, to the body, back to God. That's, that's what spiritual worship is, where we take what, what has been given to us and we immediately say, here, here's my business. <laughs> I love giving it away. That doesn't mean being frivolous and stupid and going bankrupt. We're called to be wise, but you say, man, this business has been given to me. This relationship, this, uh, this paycheck, this, this has all been given to me. Lord, what a tremendous trust that you have been given to me to give away to others who are in need. He manages his own household well. Because he says here, um, if, if someone cannot manage his own household, how can he care for God's house? So we've got to look at each other's families. Say, how, how, how are your children? How is your relationship with your wife? Because you know what? As an elder, you are representing to the people the mystical relationship between Christ and his bride. So how's your relationship with your bride? And how is your relationship with your children? Are they learning early on what it means to be submissive? as the church is to be submissive to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He's not a recent convert. I, th- I think that there's some, some obvious things there. Let me back up one more thing. I'm going to run late. So somebody might want to tell children's ministry. Managing his own household. I need, I need you to hear this. Um, a pastor's wife and an elder's wife and family that that life needs to be exemplary and I believe that this verse demands that that I and Nathan that we have a priority we have a priority that comes before the ministry to this church. And that priority is namely the ministry to our family. You probably, I don't say that enough. And I don't, I don't model that enough. But it's true. My number one priority is to my wife and my children. I love you all. But my number one ministry is to my family. And then to the church of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as quality time apart from quantity time. So if I tell you that I'm too busy to come to some church activity or to an invite that you might put out there, if I'm too busy, know that it's not because I don't like you. But my first priority is to my wife and my children. And the same is true with Nathan. If Nathan and Sarah cannot make it to every event of the church or to every birthday party or every anniversary get-together or every this or every that, 
our first priority is to our family. And for this reason, my wife and I are going to take a nine-day vacation away from you. Not because we don't like you, but because we need quality time and quantity time to love each other and spend time with each other and giggle together and have a glass of wine together and watch our kids swim in the pool without wondering, do I have to go to an elders meeting in a little bit? What about this? Or, uh, I got to write a quick rise sermon. Uh, I'm, I'm so blessed to have Nathan next week preach for me. And I don't have to worry about it because he is going to be faithful to the word of God talking about deacons. I trust him. And it's a great opportunity for my wife and I and our kids to go and be disconnected. So if I don't answer your email next week, it's not because I don't love you. If I don't answer your phone call, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I love my family. Enough. Not a recent convert. Obvious. You need to be grounded, discipled grown up in the truth and too many people have been oh he's a brand new he's a ceo and he came to christ obviously he's ready for eldership no not ready not ready when satan grew proud he fell from heaven and when a man is elevated into a position of leadership too quickly he grows proud and he'll fall from his position and perhaps even from the faith and the last one well thought of by outsiders. He should be recognized in the community. Recognized in the community as a man of, of character and proper conduct. When they see you in different places, they're not surprised. They go, ah. I, there's something about him. I know he's this or he's that. or he's, He is a godly man. His business dealings should always be honest. And right. True to the gospel. This should be true of all Christians. Especially, again, of elders. Non-Christians, people outside the church should not say, hypocrite. He says this, but he does that. So, in conclusion. As we slowly trudge closer to summer. As we get closer and closer to the summer months. We'll be making nominations again for those who might enter into our elder training and discernment course. A nine-month course of training up men and equipping them and helping them discern God's call on their life. As we move closer to that, we all, all of us, need to look for men who approximate these qualities. And before you kind of get in a pile and kind of hide yourself at the bottom of the pile going, oh, not me. And before Nathan resigns, I need you to remember that we're looking at a process that takes years. Not months. It's years and years of spiritual maturity. No elder can ever match these qualifications perfectly. None of us. It's the direction we need to be growing in. So, I need you also to observe, and I said this earlier, we also need to observe that elders are special targets of the enemy. Elders and pastors are the ones that 
Satan would love to take down first. First. How many of you love, have ever read Farside cartoons? I love Farside. It, it really speaks into life, and it, it makes you giggle, too. Um, there's one that Gary Larson did um, where there, it's two deers talking, and this is it. Two deers talk, talking. And the one is saying to the other, Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Elders are marked men. Elders are marked men. Um, If Satan can cause a church leader to fall, he brings down many others. So as, even as you are praying about, um, we, we prayed for our leadership this morning, for elders, Nathan and I, and as well as others. And as you are praying towards the summer and the nominations of who do we see that are approximating these, these qualities, you, you need to be praying for these men because Satan is already going, I'm going to tell you a lie. You are never going to be qualified. You suck. Your past is too much. You are too busy. You're too this. You're too that. You're too this. You get angry too quick. And Satan is targeting already. You're inadequate. We need to remember the reality of the gospel. So you can respond to this message as being overwhelmed with guilt and running to cover. Or you can respond to God's grace and to the process of growth that he wants for us all. My one encouragement for you, as you hear all these things that apply not just to elders, but to all of us, Pick one, maybe two. One or two out of the 15 and just say, Lord, I need to grow in this area over the next year, the next month. Lord, I just need to grow in what it means to be self-controlled in all my life. Lord, I need to understand what it means to not be a lover of money because I feel like I'm a lover of this. Not to be violent or sharp. Study the quality in God's word. Ask God to develop it in you. And who knows, men? Who knows? And men, I want you to hear this. One day, the church may ask you and say to you, you know what? This man looks like an elder. This man looks like an elder. Let's pray. Jesus, it's, it's late. There's kids in the back. There's leaders who are leading them, Lord. So um, my first inclination is to rush. Would you just even slow me down? Lord, we know that your word is true. That before the creation of the world, you, you ordained these things in such a way that would bring you glory. For all things are from you and through you and back to you. Lord, may we as a church understand what this means. And Lord, I specifically pray for my brother Nathan, Lord, that you may equip him even today to continue to grow in these 15 areas just found in 1 Timothy 3. But Lord, we know there's far more found strewn throughout Scripture. Lord, would you equip him, strengthen him, his marriage, the ministry in his family, and Lord, the ministry of 
his shepherding group, and Lord, then the ministry to the whole church. Give him what he needs. God, I pray for the men here who are not yet uh, sensing the call, or maybe they are sensing the call. Lord, would you give them a, a strong sense of your leading? And may they begin pursuing, desiring, aspiring to the office of overseer, of elder, of pastor. God, and equip these men now. May they be found in relationships as iron sharpens iron and they may be sharpening each other, growing up in the Word, being solidly grounded so that, Lord, they may resemble uh, your relationship to the bride, to their family, and then to the greater Missio Dei family, and then, Lord, out to the world so that he can be a blessing to the world and not just something that we hoard and keep here. God, we have all fallen short of these 15 uh, qualities. All of us, this week, we've been violent, we've been angry, we've been this, we've been that. All these things that you've laid out, we've, men have struggled with lust, women have struggled with lust. We've used our sharp words, uh, but God, we know that you are, are faithful and just, that if we confess our sins before you, you'll be faithful and just to forgive us from our sins. We know that you love us so much and the gospel is so extremely powerful that it removes the stain of guilt. It removes the stain of sin. It removes the lies of the devil and presents us as your children. Justified. Sanctified. So Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, may we remember again the power of the gospel. As we remember the bread and the wine, your body and your blood that was shed so that we can have life, Lord, may we remember the power that is found in you, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.